Well, I'm excited about what I'm going to be sharing today. I really just wanted to, to share my heart with you. Anytime we began to come into some kind of a holiday season, there's so many people who are hit with depression and they're hit with heaviness and sometimes even despair during the holiday time. And the Lord brought back to my remembrance this week what I went through when I first came back from Israel several years ago. I'd been to Israel and I'd had probably one of the greatest spiritual experiences of my life. And when I got home from the trip, well, naturally I was tired and I was having a few physical symptoms hit my body, but my emotions were in such an upheaval. Now, we were already in December and we had about a couple of weeks before Christmas, so there were some worries and cares, but it was a lot more than just worries and cares. I, I could feel myself sinking lower and lower and, and I couldn't seem to get hold of it. I, I couldn't seem to pull out. Now, I was really battling with what on earth is going wrong with me. Now, it'd been so long since I'd been engulfed in any kind of fears and thoughts like that. So I began to really seek God to find out what is it that I'm going through? What's going on with me? And you know, the Lord immediately started dealing with me to look out across the crowds of people, to look out across the crowds of people in the church services, out in the community, and he impressed me with the fact that a huge percentage of the crowds of people were going through exactly what I was going through. And that was a surprise to me. As I looked out across the crowds, I just felt like the Lord said, many, many that you're looking at are feeling exactly what you're feeling. And he said, they too are feeling engulfed. They feel like they're dipping water badly. And a lot of them are thinking, what's going wrong? You know, what's happening to me? I, I, I feel like I'm losing it. And then I felt like the Lord impressed me by saying, I want you to tell them how to get out of it. Well, how many of you know that you can't tell somebody else how to get out of something if you don't know how to get out of it yourself? And so I, I felt really frustrated for a moment. And then I felt like the Lord just began to give me step by step what to do. And as I put it into practice, it worked. Now that was several years ago, and I hadn't thought about that in a long time. But this past Thursday when I was praying and seeking the Lord on what to teach tonight, I felt like the Lord brought all this back to my remembrance and I felt like I was supposed to address it again in order to keep people from falling into the same pit. We are facing the holidays and I know this can be something that can keep you on top of, of your world if you'll just put this into practice. Now the Lord called it depression. In fact, what, he, what I felt like he said to me was tell my people how to overcome depression. Now we're familiar with the fact that the enemy will come in with tiny little things, sometimes just subconscious thoughts. And a lot of times we'll just kind of shove it back and we won't pay any attention. But it's his subtle plan for that attack to get just a little bigger and a little bigger without our really realizing it. It's an organized attack, and, and his plan is for it to just kind of slip up on us until all of a sudden we're just engulfed in depression. And he doesn't come in with just two or three little things. Many times there'll be six or seven or eight little things that, and if we don't stop it at the door, pretty soon we just feel like we're surrounded. We feel like we're in a whirlwind. Now, even though we know that we're supposed to take authority over the attacks of the enemy, sometimes when these things are small, when they're subtle, they come in unaware, then before long, you know, it's, it's like we don't realize what's happened until it's already on top of us. 
Now there is a way to stop the depression cycle. A lot of people think, well, you know, I just don't know. When I'm already into it, I don't know how to pull out of it. There is a way to stop the depression cycle. Did you know that God does not intend for us to have some good days and some bad days? You know, a lot of times we just think, well, as the old timers used to say, well, you know, well, I just have some blue days every once in a while or, or I just had a bad spell. A lot of people think, well, it's just normal to have some good days and every once in a while have a bad day. Most people think, well, that's just to be expected every once in a while. But you know, it surprised me to realize that that's not what God expects. He doesn't expect that. He doesn't expect us to have good days and then expect that there's going to be a few bad days. He wants us to learn how to be more than a conqueror continuously every day of our life. Now, that's why this Bible study can be so helpful to you. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this scripture is not new to most of you, but I think that many times we need a reminder. I think tonight that's what it's going to be, is a reminder to us. And in Hebrews 5, verse 14, it says, Solid food is for the mature. And then he goes on to explain what it means to be mature. He's saying the mature is the one who, because of practice, you need to circle that, because of practice, it's something that we learn to do by doing it over and over and over. He said the mature is the one who, because of practice, has trained his senses to discern between good and evil. Now, most of you would probably be considered spiritually mature, and many of you have trained yourself to discern between good and evil. You've trained your mind to discern between the thoughts that are coming from God and those thoughts that are coming from the world. And most of you have learned to do that, but you know, it's very easy to slip into complacency. Have you ever found yourself just being complacent and not doing the things you know to do? And when we do that, a lot of times we'll allow a few subtle thoughts, a few subtle attacks to come in from the enemy without shutting the door to it. And when that happens, pretty soon we find ourselves engulfed and that old enemy of depression will begin to creep in. Now we need to remember that we are considered spiritually mature only as we train our senses to discern between good and evil. But then if we don't continue to operate in what we know, then it's not going to do us any good. Now, God wants us to walk every single day in the truth of His Word. Every single day. Now, you're familiar with the scripture in Psalm 34, verse 19. But it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. We know the scriptures in Psalm 91, how there'll be pestilence and there'll be sickness and disease and destruction and thousands will fall all around us. And we'll only look on with our eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. But that word wicked, we've said this before, but it doesn't just mean evil. It also means the unbelieving. And we'll look on with our eyes and we'll see the recompense of those who are not trusting God, those who are not believing God's word, those that are not putting into practice the things they know to put into practice, those who are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. But I want you to hear me today. So many times... We slip into that category and we find ourselves being engulfed with those same things that are engulfing the world simply because we don't put into practice what we know to do. Now, the difference between success and failure is simply the difference between those who operate in the Word and those who do not operate in the Word of God. That's, that's 
the total difference between success and failure. The word's what's going to make the difference. These promises are not automatic. Now, we're going to be destroyed and defeated just like everyone else in certain areas of our life unless we put the word to work in our situation. Now, according to Hosea 4, verse 6, Christians as well as non-Christians are destroyed for lack of knowledge or rejection of knowledge. In other words, some people are destroyed simply because they don't know what the Word says. They don't put it to work because they don't know it. Other people are destroyed because they don't do it for one reason or another. They don't put the Word to work, so they've rejected the knowledge. So if we just sit back and kind of twiddle our thumbs and say, well, praise God, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of them all, that's not going to work automatically. We're going, to, we're going to have to believe that, and we're going to have to be obedient. Now, this is a book of promises. The Word of God is a book of promises from Genesis to Revelation. But every promise that's been made available to us has to be appropriated. We have to reach out and appropriate it into our situation. Now, I hope that's what we're going to see how to do that tonight in the area of depression. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 25. Now, I'm just going to pull one little tidbit out of this parable. Matthew 25. Jesus is giving the parable of the virgins. And he said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Sometimes we overlook that little word all. See, I want you to notice that all ten of the virgins got drowsy, not just the five foolish. They all got complacent. They got caught up and distracted. And then in verse 6, at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all those virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered and said, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Instead, go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. Now you need to circle that word buy. As they all got drowsy, all the oil began to dwindle. But when the foolish tried to borrow some oil from the wise, the wise told them no. They said there's not enough for both of us. Now, I found myself on both sides of the fence, and you probably have too. There's been times when I've gotten busy and I haven't put the word to work and I haven't kept my flask full of oil, and sometimes I've tried to give out when I didn't have anything to give out. And then other times I've been on the other side of the fence, and when I found my supply low, I would run here, there, and yonder trying to get oil from somebody else. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. We are a body of believers, and we are to get into agreement with each other. And there's times when we are to build each other up and be built up by someone else. Pray for one another and come into agreement. But the Lord began to show me that when my oil gets too low, the oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when my oil gets too low, when I'm in an oil deficit, there is absolutely no one that can really fill my lamp except Him. There's no one that can fill your lamp except going to the Lord. And if I continue to run here, yonder, and everywhere looking for somebody else to fill my lamp, you know, I might get temporarily built up. I might get a little shot in the arm, but it's never going to be what I need to fill me and make me an overcomer every single day. See, nobody else can do that for me. Now, that's when I have to run to the source. 
You know, have you ever put the oil dipstick down in your car and you pulled it out and there wasn't one drop of oil? It was just bone dry? Okay, when that happens, you can't just go take a quart of oil and pour it in. That's one of those times when you have to start all over, you're going to have some serious problems with your motor. Okay, that's the way we are at times. There's times, literally, when our oil stick is bone dry. And sometimes we just have to get that well filled up. And the only way we can do that is get to the source, the source of the oil. Now, I want you to follow with me because this is important. And I'm going to be pointing out some things in Scripture that sometimes we overlook. Okay, in verse 9, he's told us to go and buy some of the oil. Now, I want you to look at Revelation 3, verse 18. Revelation 3, 18. He's speaking to the church at Laodicea. And Jesus is saying here, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich, buy white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Okay, he's told us in the Gospels, in the parable, to buy all from him. Here he's telling us to buy from him gold, buy these things, white garments, eye salve. And I want you to look what it says up in verse 17. He's saying, but because you've said, I'm rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Okay, verse 17 tells me that first I've got to be honest with myself. See, there's times when I have to come to a place where I get out of denial, where I quit saying here, like it says in verse 17, I'm rich, I don't have any need for anything. I've got everything I need. I'm doing fine. And see, so many times that's what we do. You know, I'm doing fine. I don't need anything. And sometimes we have to get out of that denial and we have to say, Lord, I'm empty and I need to be filled up again. You know, but a lot of times what we'll do, we'll go a long time before we get honest enough to be honest with God. And you know, that's so ridiculous because we don't fool Him anyway. He knows when we're empty. He knows when our oil is low. He knows when we're miserable and when we're poor and blind and naked. And that's why He says in verse 18, I advise you to buy from me the oil and the white clothes and the eye salve. Okay, now, verses 2 and 3 are specific instructions that are given to the seven church ages. And historians tell us that the churches did go through these different seven stages. And we're in that last church age. That's the Laodicean church age. And that's the church to which God spoke these words. Jesus said, buy from me. Okay, now he's told us to buy the salve. He's told us to buy the white garments. He's told us to buy the gold refined by fire and the oil. And then I want you to see that it, this was prophesied clear back in Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to go there. Isaiah 55 verse 1. So these two statements that the Lord made evidently was pretty important for God to prophesy through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before... Uh, it was actually said. Okay, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and you who have no money, come, and there's that word again, buy. You need to circle that. Come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what's good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen in order that you may live. You need to circle that. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Okay, he's saying, you come and buy from me in order that you can live. In order that you can live and move and have your being in the giver of life. And he says, when you do this, then I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. And in that covenant then, he gives us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Okay, we've looked at three portions of scripture now where he's told us to come and buy from him. A prophecy in the Old Testament, and then he speaks to us in the Gospels, and then again, Jesus speaks to us in Revelation. And he says, you're going to buy it without money. And then in verse 3, he's telling us to incline our ear to him so that we'll know how to buy without money. Now, when we come and buy from him without money, he makes this covenant of life with us where we not only have eternal life, but we have abundant life right here so that we don't have to have some good days and some bad days and have our ups and downs. He intends for us to live where our mountains are lowered and our valleys are raised up and our feet walk on a level ground. He wants us to be more than a conqueror every day of our life. Now, as I said earlier, I had just returned from Israel and I thought, Lord, how on earth could I be dipping water so badly? I've just had one of the most phenomenal experiences of my entire lifetime. I've had tremendous uh, Christian fellowship. We've just been on a spiritual high, and so I was confused. And the Lord then began to show me that even though it had been a tremendously uplifting time spiritually, that I had had almost no intimate one-on-one fellowship with Him. See, we were going on a constant basis. Now, we were seeing a lot of miracles, and it was a spiritual high, but I had thought that there was not time to pull aside and have some time to be alone with the Lord. And I kept saying, but Lord, I don't understand. It looks like a a a once-in-a-lifetime spiritual high would have at least carried me through. And then my daughter Angela pointed out something to me. She was talking to me. And she said, you know, Elijah went up on Mount Carmel, and he had one of the greatest spiritual experiences of his entire lifetime. He had just watched the prophets of Baal cry out for their sacrifice to be consumed, and nothing happened. And then he called on the Lord God Jehovah, And God rained down fire, consumed the sacrifice, and then Elijah was able to kill all 850 prophets of Baal. Now, don't you think that would have been a spiritual high? Probably the most spiritual high he had had in his life. And yet we find that the very next day, he's begging God to let him die. He is in the depths of depression, and he's running for his life. So we see that just a spiritual high experience now seeing beautiful things that that God's doing, that's not going to be enough in and of itself. You know, that just shows us again that apart from the Lord, we cannot do anything. Now, even if God is using us like he was using Elijah, and he did use Elijah, he was a great man of God, but God was flowing through him to meet the needs of other people. And many times God will use us and he'll flow through us and and we may even see miracles happening around us, but that's not going to keep us filled up. It's when we go before the Lord and when we begin spending that time with Him and we allow Him to fill our well. And that's when we're going to see ourselves walking on that level ground where, where, where we're constant. That's what God is saying when He says, Come and buy from me, and it won't cost you money. 
but it does cost something. It does cost us something. The two things that it costs, it's going to cost you some time and it's going to cost you obedience. You know, at the time that I was going through this, it was, like I say, about a week and a half before Christmas and I literally thought that I didn't have the time to do what God was telling me that I had to do. I kept thinking, Lord, I'll do this right after the first of the year. But I thought, surely, you know, surely, Lord, you're not expecting me to stop and take time to do that right now. But, you know, this is what I'm wanting you to hear today. When the enemy comes, the very thing that is going to be the answer in our particular situation is going to look like an impossible thing to do. I want you to hear that. Anytime you have a problem in your life in any area, when God gives you the answer, when you find the answer out of the Word of God, or, or when God gives you the answer through another person, it's going to sound like an impossible thing to do at that time. In other words, if you're having marriage problems, the thing that you're told to do by the Lord is going to seem like an impossible thing to do. If you're having financial problems, what, what you're being told to do from the Word of God is going to seem like the hardest thing in the world. Or maybe you're having problems with your children. What, you're, what you have to do is going to look like an impossible thing at the moment. Because that, that's what happens when our oil is low. That's what happens when the enemy comes in and we're not at our best. And it, he makes it look impossible. Now, those are the times when we are going to feel rushed. Those are the times when our awe is going to be low that we're going to think, Lord, I just don't feel like being obedient. You know, those are the times when all we feel like doing is just crawling in the bed and pulling the covers up over our head. Now, my flesh wanted to escape, but when we go according to the flesh, the Bible tells us that we're acting as carnal men. And when we act as carnal men, then we're going to reap destruction. Now, there's a lot of places that we can go to escape. A lot of times we want to sleep. A lot of times we escape into our work. We just hurry so we can get it all done. Or we escape maybe into overeating, or, or we escape into the TV. And sometimes we may even be watching religious programs. It may be religious programs that we're watching on the TV. And they can lift us temporarily, but that's not going to be what fills our well. You know, we're going to find that the only thing that's going to restore us when we're under that oppression is continually going before our Maker and worshiping and loving Him and allowing Him to love us. You know, it's that love relationship that's flowing between the two of us, between the Lord and you. It's that love that is going to fill you up and going to restore your joy and restore your peace. Now, procrastination is one of the biggest enemies during a time of oppression. You know, where we say, oh, Lord, I know I should do this and so, but I just don't feel like it right now. You know, it's so easy when we're in depression to get into a state of lethargy where we actually think we can't move. Have you ever just felt like you couldn't move, that you, couldn't, you just couldn't do what needed to be done, you just didn't have it in you? Okay, that's all a part of the enemy plan. Have you ever felt so oppressed that when God told you what to do, it just seemed like another problem? You know, one more thing that you had to do when you were already, you know, where you already felt like the water was over your head? Well, anytime you feel that what God is telling you to do is too much, always remember 1 John 5, verse 3. You can look it up later. But it says that His commandments are never burdensome. Now, what that means is that when God tells us something to do, when He gives us a point of obedience, it's for a reason. 
Anytime he tells us to do something, it's not to be a burden to us. It's because he knows that's going to be the answer. And he knows that's going to be the only way that we're going to pull out of our particular situation. Now, the enemy will tell you that's just one more problem to have to add to the pile, but that's not true. Well, finally, I came to the place of saying, okay, Lord, I fought this thing long enough. I'm ready to be obedient. I'll do it your way. Now, just tell me what you want me to do. And the Lord gave me a recipe. And I want to give this to you. Now, it's not going to be new to some of you, but I know that it's something that we need to be reminded. Now, these were the steps that God gave to me. And as I took these steps, it worked beautifully. Number one, the first thing that he showed me, and I thought this was unusual, but he showed me that when my oil was low, that I would always feel like God was far away. You know, uh, we tend to think uh, that God is so far away that we're never going to be able to get back to normal again. We think it's going to be so long. Oh, Lord, it's going to take so long to get back where I used to be. And I know that, that a lot of you have felt that. You've, you remember times when you were so close to God and you think, Oh, God, how could I get back to that place? That was so wonderful, but how do I get back there? It's going to take so long. And it looks impossible. Some of you may have been away from God a long time. You know, there may be some of you that it might have been years. But I want you to realize it doesn't have to take a long time to get back. And that was one of the first things that the Lord began dealing with me to get it out of my mind thinking that it was going to take a long, hard road to get back. You know, it reminded me of the husband and the wife that were driving somewhere in the car and the wife began to talk to the husband and she said, Honey, I remember when we were first married and we always sat close in the car when we drove someplace. You know, what happened? Look, we're, we don't sit close anymore. And the husband looked over at her and he said, Well, I haven't moved. <laughs> You know, well, that's exactly what God is saying to us. He has not moved. And we're going to find that he is as near as the very breath that we breathe. And even when we feel that he's a thousand miles away, the first thing that the Lord impressed me with is he said, I'm not far away. You may feel like I'm far away, but I'm not far away. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. But see, when we get busy with all these little things that we, we have to do, we get ourselves in a carnal state and we come to a place where we don't sense his presence. We don't feel his presence. But that doesn't mean that he's not there. So the first thing that the Lord had me do was to remind myself that he was close and to begin quoting Hebrews 13.5 out of the Amplified. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to quote it to you. But I quoted it over and over and over. The Lord said, I will never leave you. I will not in any way fail you. I'll not give you up. I'll not leave you without support. He said, I will not, I will not, I will not. I love that. Three times, I will not in any degree leave, leave you helpless. I will not forsake you. I will not let you down. I will not relax my hold on you. Assuredly, I will not. And I could just read that and it would just begin to restore me. Now, we may move away from him, but he, does, he never moves away from us. And I had to realize that right before Christmas. I had to realize that I was the one that had gotten busy. I was the one that had, uh, had so many things to do. But I had to also realize that just because I felt like he was far away, that wasn't the truth. He was there waiting for me. Okay, then number two step, he reminded me of how they came into God's temple in the Old Testament. 
Now later look up Psalm 100 verse 4. But it tells us that they came through the gates of the temple with joyful thanksgiving and then through the courtyard with praise. And then the priests went on into the Holy of Holies. And of course, we're all kings and priests now. And the Lord impressed me to begin approaching him that way. Because sometimes when our awe's low and we feel like we can't get to God, sometimes we can't even think what to pray or how to get there. And so he called me to sit down in a quiet place and just began to joyfully give thanks to him. And I can remember thinking, oh, I can hardly sit here. I have so much to do that my insides are just churning. I can hardly sit still. But God kept impressing me with be still and know that I'm God. Just be still and know that I'm God. And then come on through my gates with joyful thanksgiving. Now I took a pen and uh, paper and I began writing down all the blessings that I could think of, everything that I could think of that the Lord had done. And the more that I began to thank him for those things that I remembered that he had done, the more things started coming until I just couldn't voice it fast enough. You know, start out with all the little things that we take for granted because we do. We just, we take so many things for granted. But as you write them down and out loud began thanking God, then all of a sudden you do find yourself through the gates. You're already in, into the courtyard. You're in that courtyard. So then just began praising him. Just began telling him how much you love him for all that he's done. Began to praise and magnify his name. Now at that point, the Lord took me to Psalm I want you to turn there. Now, there's nothing that places this particular psalm above any of the other psalms, but this just happened to be the one to which the Lord led me that day. And I began to read it out loud, and it began to come off the page. Now, anytime the Lord gives you something, whether it's a scripture or whether it's something to read out of the Bible, do it out loud. When you pray to the Lord, pray out loud you're going to find that it'll make such a difference to cause the oppression to lift. As I began to read this out loud, it began to click in my spirit. In Psalm 3, it says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. And I saw that and I was shocked because that is exactly what had been happening. You know, through all that tiredness and, and through all the thoughts and the fears and the physical symptoms and all the things that were going on in my head, it was as though my mind kept saying, you know, there's no deliverance. I, I can't pull out of this. What am I going to do? So that's exactly what, what had been happening. The very day before, the thought had gone through my mind. Lord, is there any deliverance? Is there any way I can be delivered? What's going on? And I realized God was telling me right here that that was the enemy saying that to me. And he began to show me that that's what the enemy will always say to you when you've pulled back away from God. The enemy's always going to say, it's too late, there's no deliverance for you. And then in verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. And I read that and I realized he had his arms around me. He literally had a shield around me. There's a blood covering around us. Where the blood is, the destroyer can't come in. In Psalm 91, when it says, our shield is his faithfulness to the promises that he's made to us. And all of a sudden, I realized he's made promises to me and he's going to be faithful to keep those promises. And that's a shield all the way around me. And it's there whether we realize it or not. And the last part of verse 3, he said, My glory and the one who lifts my head. And I realized, boy, my head had been down. 
My head had been drooped down. But it was God who was reaching down and was lifting my head up. And he wanted me to read this and and realize that. And then in verse 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. And I realized that even when I was feeling depressed, even when I would lie down and I would just think, oh, I'm so far away from God, God was the one that was sustaining me, even though I wasn't consciously aware of it. And in verse 6, he said, I'll not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. Thou hast shattered the teeth of the wicked. And suddenly I realized God had already smitten my enemies. He had already smitten all the fears and the thoughts and the physical symptoms. He had done that 2,000 years ago. And that had already been accomplished. And all he wanted me to do was realize what he was saying in verse 8. He said, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy blessing be upon thy people. And I realized salvation, health, healing, deliverance, protection, provision, all of that belonged to God. Everything I needed belonged to God. And he was there waiting for me to allow him to pour that blessing back down on me. See, that's what the Psalms can do for you when you're under oppression. As you begin to read it, the Lord will guide you to the right one. And when he does, he'll say exactly to you what you've been going through and he'll give you the exact answer. He also took me to Psalm 27 verse 1. I won't have you turn there, but that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And that was exactly what I needed to hear that day because I realized that most depression comes from the things that we dread when you think about it. You know, it may be just the dread of what we're going to have to face tomorrow or or maybe the dread of of a lot of false responsibilities that we've taken upon ourselves. But whatever it is that we're dreading, that dread will play a big part in keeping us in depression. Now, Deuteronomy 28 lists all the curses. And one of the curses that's listed in Deuteronomy 28, verse 67, is dread. Now, most people don't realize that dread is a part of the curse. But it says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 67, Oh, I wish that it were morning. He said, at evening, you'll say, I wish that it were morning. He said, then in the morning time, you'll say, oh, I wish that it were evening. And it said, because of the dread that's in your heart. Okay, that's part of the curse. But praise God, we've been redeemed from the curse. So we don't have to get up in the morning and wish that it were evening or go to bed at night and wish that it were morning. We don't have to be in dread. When we realize that the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, the Lord is my defense, then there's nothing that we have to dread. We've been redeemed from that curse. Now Psalm 27 goes on to say that we're to shout praises unto God, and we're to sing unto Him. And we should shout thanksgiving to the God of the universe who loved us enough to die for us. You know, that should make us want to shout. Sometimes we don't feel like shouting. Our shouts may start out a little bit small. But you go ahead and shout to the Lord because He deserves our praise. And if He loved us enough to provide for us every single need that we were ever going to have, even before we had a need and His love for us is everlasting, then we need to begin to shout. And He wants us to take those worries and cares and give them to Him. He wants us to sing unto Him, sing praises to Him. 
He wants us to put every one of those little problems up on the altar. You know, I remember a story that I read about this man, and he said that every time that he would get burdened down with a bunch of problems, that he had this same picture that he would always see. He said he would see this little child going into the throne room. And he said the child would go up to the altar of God, and he said the altar was way too tall for the child to reach up and put all the burdens up on the table. He couldn't get them all up there. So he said the little child would just reach up and would put one at the time up on the altar before God. And that's exactly what the Lord began telling me. He said, don't try to just come and just dump them all on the table. He said, one at the time, take one of those problems at a time and put it on the altar. And he said, I'll take it. And he said, as you just release one thing at a time to me and know that I've taken it, then it's off of your back and you've given it to me. And he reminded me that he has an exchange system. That's how the kingdom of God works. You know, when they came to Jesus and they began to talk to him uh, about his death, he talked to them about his resurrection. And they would bring someone to him that was sick, and they would talk to him about the sickness and what was wrong with this person. And Jesus would talk to them about his healing power. He would show forth his healing power. And when he was told about someone who had died... They would mourn and they would talk about the death, but he talked to them about the restoration of life. Remember when Martha was talking about the death of her brother Lazarus? He began talking about the resurrection and the life. In Isaiah, when it talks about heaviness and depression, the exchange for that, it says, is the mantle of praise and thanksgiving. See, it's an exchange system. And it's not enough for us just to take the fear out, but we're going to have to put something in place of it. When we put that fear up on the table, on the altar before God, then we're going to have to put back inside of us, we're going to have to replace it with what it is that God says on the subject. You know, I had one young girl that came to me, oh, it's been several years ago now, and she said, I have so many doubts that at times I even get to the place where I fear that there's not a God. And she said, those doubts just engulf me. And she said, I'm just constantly trying to rebuke those doubts. She said, I just spend all my time rebuking those doubts. And I said, well, it's not enough just to put the doubts out. You're going to have to replace those doubts with what it is that God has said. And I showed her there in Romans 1 verse 19 where God said, you know, I've made it evident to everybody that there is a God. He said, I've made it evident by what's on the inside of you and by what's on the outside of you. Inwardly, he's made it evident because of that knowing down on the inside of us, that unction we just know that there's a God. And he said, I've made it known to you as you look out and you see nature, as you see the creation around you. And that's why the Bible says we're without excuse. And she had been trying so hard to get rid of those doubts. But as she stopped doing that and she began praising God for the fact that he had made himself evident on the inside and he had made himself evident through the creation, then all of a sudden faith began to rise. As she got her eyes on the answer and got her eyes on Jesus, then the doubts just began to flee. Whatever burden it is that you place on the altar, you have to exchange it with something from him, some promise from him. And we make that exchange, the way you make that exchange is by believing, choosing to believe that promise that he's made and then confessing it with your mouth out loud. He said that's what brings the result, when we believe it in our heart and when we confess it with our mouth. That's what brings the results. Now, sometimes there will be a feeling of anxiety and you can't exchange it for a promise from God's word until you pinpoint what the anxiety is. 
you ever had an anxiety and, and you just couldn't quite put your finger on it, you couldn't figure out where it was coming from, but it was just, you were just churning on the inside? Well, remember that every anxiety is being triggered by something. You don't have an anxiety down on the inside of you for no reason. Now, even if it's kind of subconscious, it might be a sound or it might be a phrase that triggers it, and it'll be triggered by some memory recall. And sometimes it'll be subconscious, and you really won't be able to put your finger on what it is. But if you'll seek the Lord, He can show you what it is. Let me give you this example. This is going to sound like a silly example, but it was big to me at the time. You know, years ago, even before this incident that happened that Christmas, ever so often, I would just have this wave of depression that would just kind of sweep over me, and it was for no real apparent reason. And I would just think, you know, where did this come from? And it would just come on real suddenly, and there would just be kind of a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach, but I didn't know what it was coming from. So I started seeking God and asking God to reveal to me where that was coming from. And one day I realized that that feeling would come every time I would hear an oscillating fan for a while. Now I know that sounds ridiculous, but God began to bring to my remembrance something that I hadn't thought about since I was a child. You know, on hot summer nights, Mother would put a fan on us when we were children, and we would sleep with this oscillating fan blowing on us. And I went through this period when I was a child of waking up in the middle of the night and fearing that one of my parents would die. Now, I don't know how long I would stay awake during the night, but I would lie there in that fear, and then finally I would drop off to sleep again. And somehow... Through the years, I had associated that sick feeling with the sound of the fan. And so when I would hear, that, hear a fan, it would trigger that anxiety. Well, I probably would have never come up with that on my own, but as the Lord began to show that to me and show me what had done that, then I was able to pray and say, Lord, take this away. You know, you're bigger than that. And as it was pinpointed, then he took care of it. And I can listen to an oscillating fan all day now, and it doesn't bother me. But I shared that just simply to say that anxieties are not there without a reason. If you have a low-grade anxiety, it's there for a reason. And God will show you what it is. If you'll seek him, he'll bring back to your remembrance that old area that triggered that anxiety, and then he'll show you exactly what to do to exchange it with something out of his word, and you'll be able to drive it out. You'll be able to get healing from it. Okay, the third step, God said, start reaching out. He had me to get a spiral notebook and take seven pages, and on each page put Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, on through the week, and then take all the names of my family, our relatives, our friends, our church family, and divide all the names up and put everybody's name on one of those seven pages. And then each morning as I was going through the gates with thanksgiving and, and recalling all the blessings, then the Lord would have me call each person's name that was listed on that particular day and lift them up to God. I didn't have to spend a long time on them. Sometimes I knew what their needs were, and, and I could pray specifically, but sometimes I didn't know what the needs were. And God's promise is that as we pray for one another, we'll be healed. 
And sometimes when we're in depression, we find that we've turned inward and we've become selfish and we're thinking about me and mine and how I feel. And as we begin forcing ourselves to pray for other people and forcing ourselves to reach out to others, that has a way of lifting that heaviness off of us. Now, we're never going to be able to see depression lift unless there's plenty of oil. And these three steps that I've just given you, I promise you, will replenish your oil supply very quickly. It'll fill you up with the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember, and it'll happen fast. It, it won't take a long time. I, I remember one time when my sewing machine began to make a funny noise, and all of a sudden it just quit working altogether, and I couldn't imagine what was wrong with it. And it acted like it was just permanently gone. I thought the motor had conked out. And so Jack came home, and he put a few drops of oil in that motor, and immediately it started running. Now, it sounded like it was gone, and yet with just a little bit of oil, it was ready to go again. Didn't take three weeks for that to take effect. It started immediately. Now, that's exactly the same way with us. When the oil of the Holy Spirit has dwindled, when our flask of oil has gotten low, you know, we can struggle and struggle and get to the point of almost non-function but if we'll take the time just to daily go in there and, and be alone with the Lord, just take these three steps, it doesn't take any time to be right back there in, with the sense of His presence. Now, I don't care how much it feels like it's going to take a long time for this to work. That's a lie of the enemy. Now, the Scripture tells us to come and buy all, the Lord said, from Him. And He said, you don't need money. And we're God's ambassadors and... You know, we don't have time to be heavy laden. We just don't have time for that. And more than that, who wants it? You know, it doesn't feel good. But if you'll take these three steps, you're going to find yourself then not only being set free, but you're going to find yourself being able to reach out and help other people, and that's what it's all about. If you'll just make up your mind that before the holidays come this year that you're going to beat the devil to the draw and begin spending this time with the Lord. This can be one of the most exciting and uplifting and productive holiday seasons that you've ever spent. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Oh, God, how good that is. Lord, I know that we leave you and we come to the place where we can't feel the sense of your presence and we think we'll never be able to get back where we were. But Lord, that's just a lie of the enemy. And I'm asking tonight, Lord, that, that we'll realize that you are there and that you've never left us. And that if we'll be willing to do that which you've told us to do, just in moments we can be right back in your arms again. And we can feel the sense of your presence. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love, that you've made an eternal covenant with us. You've provided everything that we need for life and godliness. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.